Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast. It's Wednesday, July 12th, the first day after the All-Star break, the day the sports world stands still. But we continue to charge forward with an old friend here, an old friend on the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast, Al Melchior joining me, Scott White, to talk about fantasy baseball. Al, how's it going? Uh, great, Scott. This is it's a it's a little weird. I'm shaking some rust off here. I mean, I you know I, I podcast still, but you know, it I, I've had one podcast with you since since leaving CBS, but first one on on your turf. Yeah, and you've been doing you've been doing some serious sports radio stuff, right? What what have you been up to since you left CBS? Uh yeah, a lot a lot of different things. Uh, well, I started my own blog, my own weekly uh, matchup report newsletter. Uh, writing for FanRag Sports, and I do the the podcast for them, which, as you just mentioned, Scott, is also a live broadcast on Fantasy Sports Radio five times a week, and uh, writing for FanGraphs. Yeah, and just all was, over the place. Covers, covers it. Yeah, busy guy. Busy guy. <laughs> Still well in tune to the baseball world, so it's good to have you back, Al. This is going to be fun. This is going to be fun, and let's let's talk about what's been going on in baseball the last couple of days. The All-Star game, Robinson Cano, of course, hitting a solo home run in the 10th inning to win it for the AL again. They won 2-1 to one in extra innings. Yadier Molina also had a home run in that game. Uh, the day before that, it may have actually been even more exciting. Aaron Judge winning the home run derby, which, you know, the result may have not been so surprising. Aaron Judge doing uh, some ridiculous things power-wise this year, hitting the ball a long way. Had a few home runs over 500 feet in the Derby, uh, but it, again, it was it was an exciting competition that home run Derby. I, I feel like baseballs really fixed that event to the point where it went from being kind of a, a a snoozer. I thought something I wasn't that excited to tune into to, to now for me, it's the highlight of All Star Week. Yeah, no, it's uh, I you know I, I think it is a little more exciting with this format and. Um... Yeah, you know, and the, the All-Star game itself, I mean, it's, it's a cool thing, but it's always, for me, a little bit of an anti-climax, so I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I don't know if I like the Home Run Derby necessarily more, but I like it more than I used to. Yeah, yeah, I mean, between the the clock, the four-minute clock, so you get these buzzer-beater home runs, and, and then the head-to-head matchups, one player going versus another, so you know exactly what each guy is aiming for. It, it just, that first round especially, to me, it was an intense and... and uh, I was excited to see it. Two years, uh, no, actually, that was the third year of that format, and it it just keeps getting better and better. I think. So, what was your favorite part of of the All Star Week? Uh, you know, I I think nothing really stands out in a huge way, but I thought that what they did last night with the miking up the players was. I'm not sure if I if I liked it or disliked it or loved it or hated it. But it was just <laughs> novel, you know. I thought it was great. I thought it was great, yeah. the idea that we could hear, uh, you know, what what they're thinking when they're actually out there in the field. And I guess it would only work with the outfielders because, you know, how much out- action does an outfielder get during the course of a game? But I, I, I thought it was great. It was, it was interesting that they could, uh, you know, pay attention to what was going on in the field. Uh, Bryce Harper and who, was, who else was it they talked to? Um, uh, trying to remember. Uh, Cruz? No, it was... 
Yeah, yeah, I, can't yeah, yeah I, I can't remember either. But it was interesting that they could pay attention to what was going on in the field and still answer the questions in a thoughtful way. I was, I was impressed. I hope we see more of that. I don't know. I don't know if they'd be willing to do it during regular season games, but yeah, and I definitely wouldn't like that. <laughs> <laughs> keep it. Keep your focus on what's happening, guys. We don't. That's we don't right. need. Uh, we don't need you uh, broadcasting in your your spare moments. All right. So some big news happening apart from what actually went down during the All Star Week. Madison Bumgarner is on the verge of returning. Saturday is when he's scheduled to pitch again for the Giants, and his last rehab start was great. Eight strikeouts over six innings, only two hits allowed. How are you feeling about Madison Bumgarner coming back? I'm I'm a little concerned, uh, you know, as I would be with you know most anybody coming back from that long of a layoff, uh, you know, an injury related layoff. It certainly, you know, would help for me uh, in the ten game leagues uh, that I'm in. Uh, and I, I don't own any Bumgarner, so this is just yeah. purely hypothetical for me. Sure. But if I did, uh, to have him with two starts against the Padres. Uh, that, that's a pretty nice soft landing. So, um, yeah, I, I would, he's certainly startable or I would say even must start, but mm. I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit worried. Well, yeah, obviously. And, and the two start aspect depends on how exactly you have your league set up. The default setting here on CBS sports is still, uh, the, the shortened three game week, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is a week unto itself. I know other sites and, and you have this option on CBS Sports too. You can fold that shortened week into the next full week and then basically everybody's making two starts. So uh yeah, Bumgarner would be a two start pitcher in that scenario. But I, look, I'm just excited to get him back. And and he he had gotten roughed up earlier on his rehab assignment, so it was encouraging seeing good starts um in this latest one. But you know, an injury too is pitching shoulder. Obviously we're gonna want to keep an eye on the velocity and everything else there. Uh, another pitcher coming back, Kyle Hendricks coming back from a hand injury, potentially this weekend. And not as exciting as Bumgarner. How did, how did you feel about the way he was pitching before the injury? Well, right before the injury, I was feeling really good about it. I wasn't feeling good about how Hendricks was performing back in April, but he seemed to be kind of slowly, steadily rounding into form. So, um, you know, as with, with Bumgarner, although, of course, not as long of a, a layoff uh, for, uh, for Hendricks, but a little concerned that, you know, maybe a loss of momentum, still maybe not 100%. Um, you know, I hope he gets back to where he was because where he was, I thought, was pretty close to uh, his form from last year. You know, the innings were still down, and it's, you know, as, as valuable as wins are in fantasy, even in leagues that don't reward wins, you're usually rewarding quality starts. So, you know, he he needs to go six and seven consistently for me to really see him as an impact player in fantasy. But certainly worth owning and certainly good news that he's coming back. Eduardo Nunez expected back from the DL Friday from a hamstring injury. That's good news, if only because he's shortstop eligible. Chris Davis began a rehab assignment Monday. He's coming back from an oblique injury. He could potentially come back during the shortened week. Starlin Castro dealing with a hamstring injury. He's going to play in rehab games Thursday and Friday, so his return is near. Colton Wong coming back from a triceps injury. Uh, looks like he'll be ready to go for the start of the short week. And uh, what do you think that means for the rest of the kind Cardinals lineup, specifically Luke Voigt? Yeah, I, he would seem to be the loser in, in all of that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's unfortunate because he was kind of an intriguing power source. But uh, if it's not Voight, then I would say maybe Wong himself. Yeah, uh, that's what I'm hoping for. That's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> they've seen they've seen a lot from Colton Wong, and he keeps getting chances. 
without showing any real improvement. And if the Cardinals want to get back in the race, they need to make some hay here. So Luke Voigt's hitting for them. Uh, you know, Matt Carpenter. There, there's been some chatter that maybe Matt Carpenter's offense has been hurt by him playing first base. Uh, I, I don't know. That that That's just kind of an out-there theory maybe, but... Um, I haven't thought about that, but he, he has hit better lately, so maybe there is yeah. something to that. Yeah, moving to second base, he's, he's hit better. So hopefully Colton Wong doesn't dip, disrupt things too much there. Eduardo Rodriguez, he looked good in his last rehab start, and he's likely back Monday. So if you're playing the shortened week, you won't have access to him right away, but uh, maybe he'll be available for two starts the following week. Okay, these aren't... Uh, some other news. This is some other news. It's not, you know, directly injury related, but some interesting things that caught my attention during the long weekend. Matt Harvey, Dan Warthen, his pitching coach, said that uh, it was discovered after he went on the DL that the muscles behind his right shoulder, so his throwing shoulder, in the words of Warthen, had totally atrophied. They were about half the, half the size of those on the left. And again, this was before he went on the DL. So he was pitching through that, uh, coming back from thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, you know, I don't have high expectations for Matt Harvey when he returns, which may not be until August. But um, that's encouraging to hear. If, if uh, you know, I, if his velocity's back, obviously that's a game changer. Yeah, I mean, mostly I'm just befuddled by that, that report. I mean, how could the Mets, it feels like, like we ask this a lot, like how could the Mets know, you know, X or Y, mm. uh, you know, how that got by them? I'm not sure. And it would seem like that's the sort of thing that could take Harvey, you know, maybe through till next season to really recover from or, you know, build up from. Yeah. So yeah, no, I don't have high hopes for him either, but you're right. It's, it's encouraging in the sense that it provides us with a really plausible explanation why he just wasn't himself. And that's, Procedure, thoracic outlet surgery, it sounds really invasive and scary and dangerous, but you know, I, I took the time this spring to go back and look through the history of it, pitchers who've gone through it and, and how they were after the fact, and it, was, it had such a high success rate. In fact, it seemed like most pitchers actually improved afterwards, so it was, it was befuddling how Harvey was pitching, and, and hopefully this provides some sort of answer, even if we don't find out uh, for sure until 2018, like you were saying. Noah Syndergaard uh, is also on the mend for the Mets. He's going to start throwing next week, and there's some talk maybe he could be back in reliever if the as a reliever if the Mets decide they need him back sooner. I don't think the Mets are going to need him back sooner. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, me, me neither. Uh, but yeah, it's just you know kind of one more thing uh, to to deflate his value uh, going forward. And that said. Um, you know, I don't think anybody should drop him, and, you know, especially if it's a roto league where you're, you know, you're competing all season just on, you know, on the chance that he's starting games for the Mets in September and, and he's back to normal. Now, this is a big, this, this is big news, at least on CBS sports leagues where, uh, the eligibility requirements are five games in season for a position player to gain eligibility. Freddie Freeman got his fifth game before the break. He is now third base eligible. Where would you have him? in your third base rankings? Ah, um, all right, Scott, you caught me off guard just a little bit. Okay. Here, I'll, which I'll let no you excuse for, cause this was in the notes. Yeah, no, I'll <laughs> let you look it up. I'll let you look. I'll go ahead and start. But, uh, I, I, I know I would have, and, I, and the thing is, I know I've been asked this before too. So I know I'd have him behind Arenado 
and um, and Donaldson, mm-hmm. although it's pretty close with those two. Okay, so and you I, have him behind I'd Donaldson. Still, I'd still put him ahead of Jose Ramirez. Yeah, well, definitely for me. Like, I'm having a hard time saying he's he's not my number one actually, uh, and and I have a hard time moving him ahead of Nolan Arenado just because Nolan Arenado is like a fixture at the top of those third base rankings and never gives you any reason to suspect he's not a first round caliber hitter. So, okay, I'm fine putting him behind Nolan Arenado. Uh, but then you get into the Chris Bryant's of the world. You mentioned Josh Donaldson. Manny Machado's still up pretty high for me. And uh, I, 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 have, I still feel like Freddie Freeman is somebody I want more than them. The way he's come back from this wrist injury seems to have picked up where he left off. And, you know, I don't mean to make this a head-to-head point-specific thing, but just because that format provides such clarity about how, how closely players relate to each other, Freddie Freeman has been far and away the best corner infielder on a per game basis this year. Like the difference between him and, and um, you know, Joey Votto, who's number two in head to head points per game is, is 0.65 points per game, which is like the difference between a must start player and a, a horrible player. If we're, lo- if we're looking further down um, uh, on players who rank further down in that particular stat. So Freddie Freeman has been awesome, and I think in ways that are sustainable with the plate discipline improvement, his line drive rate is still off the charts. What, what do you, how would you characterize Freddie Freeman if you, if you still like those other third basemen more? Um, do you, how close is he to being a first-round caliber hitter in your mind? Yeah, I'd say you know if we were doing mocks right now for 2018 for me, he'd be a guy there probably right on the turn. Okay. Uh, yeah. So pretty pretty much there. Okay. Um, but you know, could could also see him going first couple of picks in the second round too. Well, if you like those other third basemen more, I assume you like Goldschmidt more. I assume you like Joey Votto. Would you take Freeman or Votto if we're if we're thinking I, among I'd first take basemen? Votto. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, that's well, fair. They're, they're all they're all pretty close. And yeah, and you mentioned Bryant. That's a tough one. I think I think I probably. Have, i probably give Brian a little bit of an edge there, too, but it, it, they're also close. Ben Gamble is going to play some first base for the Mariners, so he could pick up eligibility there. Not sure how much it helps, but flexibility is always a good thing. Robinson Cano says he's been playing at less than 100% since coming back from the hamstring injury he suffered in May, and in 45 games since returning, a 260-309-442 slash line. So it kind of looks like he's playing at less than 100%, although... He didn't show it last night. The All Star <laughs> game with the winning home run there. I he still must start. Luke Weaver's oh, yeah. Luke Weaver's oh, been sent back to the minors and the Yankees have released Chris Carter. So that chapter of his career is over. We'll see if he latches on elsewhere. Now the Yankees are actually looking for a first baseman. I I guess they decided Chris Carter wasn't the solution there, but uh there's thought to have some interest in Justin Bohr. Tommy Joseph is also supposed to be on the market, which you know, we've been waiting all week for Reese Hoskins to arrive. It sounds like it's going to depend on Joseph getting traded. So hopefully the Yankees uh, can step up there or somebody else who needs a, another bat in their lineup, be it first base or DH or whatever. The Twins are looking at Jose Quintana, Sonny Gray, Dan Straley. That's the first I've seen him mentioned as a trade chip during this time of year, but... Uh, how likely do you think these players are to get traded? Quintana, Gray, Straley, um, you know, Chris would, Archer's been mentioned. 
Yeah, I, I think Quintana would be very likely. I don't, you know, the the White Sox. I don't see them having any incentive to to keep him around, and and it seems like they could get a really good haul for him. Sonny Gray, I think probably as well. I mean, the A's are not going to be contending. Dan Straley, I I don't think he's going to get traded, and I actually I think it was I can't remember now if it's Clark Spencer or Barry Jackson, but there was some report. Uh, that had him listed among the players that the Marlins weren't going to put on the market. Yeah. So, so maybe the Twins, you know, would like him, but that yeah. doesn't necessarily mean he's available. So they, they're uh, going to cost a pretty, a, a pretty penny. All of these guys and it, uh, yeah. Chris Archer included, because part of the reason teams are looking into them is because they have several years of team control and, and in ways that, uh, you know, fairly team friendly. So. These wouldn't be just rentals for contenders, and, and that's why the interest is so high. It also is incentive for those teams to hold on or at least wait out to get uh, a really good return for them. I, I think what's going to be interesting, though, is, as the trade chatter really begins to heat up over the next two weeks is, you know, obviously there are a lot of teams still in the race in the AL. The NL looks kind of halfway decided already. There are not nearly as many teams in the mix. I know the Brewers are, are probably going to be looking to add. The Rockies are holding on to that second wild card spot, and, and uh, that, that could become a tight race. But I feel like if you play in a league-specific format where uh, players, uh, when, when they're traded across leagues, they're either added to your player pool or removed from your player pool, I expect to see a lot more additions to the AL than the NL. That totally makes sense. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, look at the teams that you've mentioned, and I know some teams you're about to mention uh, in some upcoming items. It's it's all the AL. Yeah, D. Gordon, uh, a- Angels, Blue Jays, Royals, all teams that need a second baseman. So he's drawing interest from them. The Red Sox are interested in Pat Neshek, which, you know, obviously he's not going to unseat Craig Kimbrell, but Neshek's getting traded, I think, one way or another. So that talk of maybe him being inserted in the Phillies' closer role is, is well past. And yeah. uh, Hector Neris has done a good job there anyway. I, You know, Scott, I'm glad to hear you say that because, um, you know, I've been making the case that uh, Neris is really underrated and, and his struggles have been a little bit overblown. So, yeah, and no, I agree. And, you know, for better or for worse, I mean, it seems like uh, Pete McCannon has, has settled on with him as the closer. Okay, so let's get into the meat of the show here now, 20 minutes in. This is my first time hosting the Fantasy Baseball Podcast, so I'm not the expert at setting a pace like Adam Azer is. But um, we want to get into second-half expectations, specifically players who we think are going to perform either either better or worse in the second half. We could call these buy low, sell high. You categorize it a number of different, different ways. Take whatever you want to from it. But basically, we think they're going to be... Uh, let, let's start with the betters. Who who do you think, Al, is going to be better in the second half? Give us one name. Wow, because I, I got several here. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw out Tanner Roark because I feel like out of the, the names on my list, that's the one that probably people have given up on the most or are on the verge of giving up on. Um but I, I like his chances as well as anybody's to bounce back in the second half because really his, his struggles have been mostly confined to lefties. And granted, that's you know still a, a sizable portion of who he's got to face. But he, you know he's, he's had some ups and downs in his career, but he certainly had enough sustained ups that I think he can rediscover whatever it was that he had you know last year in particular. 
uh, that allowed him to be so successful at limiting both righties and lefties. And he's also he's got he's got the lowest strand rate among qualifiers uh, for starters. So even as disappointing as he's been, the results you know probably should have been a little better than they were. And I think there's room for him to improve beyond that. Now, his ownership has dropped to 71% in CBS Sports Leagues. I, I think that's kind of high for how he's performed, actually. Uh, how, does the, how do you feel about the walk rate? Because that's, I, I know he did fine with a high walk rate last year, but it, that didn't se- it didn't seem like he could continue to walk hitters at that rate and be successful, and, and that has continued. Yeah. Um, well, I think it would be sort of wishful thinking, to, you know, you could hope maybe that he improves the walk rate or becomes a little bit more of a strikeout pitcher. But, um, you know, if you're going to bank on Roark, I think you've got to do it in the way, you know, you've got to expect him to have success in the way he's done in the past, which is to do well with balls in play. And that's probably the way to succeed that gives you the slimmest margin for error. <laughs> so uh, while it'd be nice if Roark walked fewer batters, I don't, I don't expect it. Uh, I do expect that he'll improve his command, particularly against lefties, and uh, get more outs on balls and play that way. So top what pitcher do you see him being next year? Top, I mean, in the second half, top 50? Could he get back I, in there? I think 50. I think, in fact, you know, 40 at okay. least. I was even, when, when you first, you know, asked the question, I was saying 30 or 30 <laughs> might be a lot. <laughs> I talked you down. <laughs> but, but, I think he's outside my top seventy now. Rest of season, I'm so. gonna make I'm gonna make a caveat here, Scott. And you know, I mean, I think this is you know, also obviously, I like Roark better than you do. Yeah. But I mean, there, there's you know, as we talked about, you know, more than a year ago, uh, when I was still doing this podcast with you guys regularly. I mean, there's just not very many reliable starting pitchers. No. So um, if you see any upside at anywhere for somebody, I mean, they kind of get in that conversation for top thirty, top forty. Yeah. Because um, there's just so many pitch starting pitchers that are really only good for streaming. Yeah, a lot of a lot of malleability, I think, in that forty yeah. to ninety range. Absolutely. So <laughs> I think Burrow can rise above that and at least get in the top forty. Okay. Uh, one guy I like for the second half is Rugnet Odor, who we've talked about a few times on this podcast as being a buy low, um, but even now. There is not a lot different in his batted ball profile from a year ago. There are a lot more infield fly balls. But to me, that seems like a small adjustment that he could make to stop hitting so many infield fly. It, it wouldn't take much to reduce that rate. And, and then what would, would be left is basically the exact same player we saw last year. His BABIP is only 244. I, I think there's a lot of ground for Rugnet Odor to make up in the second half. Uh, yeah, I've got him on my list too. Um, but I, I, you know, when you asked me to pick one, and I was looking through the list, he, he was one I knew I wasn't going to throw out there as, as one of my top ones because I've, I've got some concerns about Odor. Um, now, one of the concerns I had coming into the season was whether or not he could replicate the power he showed last year, and he's he's pretty much doing that, and uh, you know, and getting the stolen bases. I'm not I'm not sure last year wasn't the fluke year in terms of batting average. Uh, because he's got really strong pull tendencies, particularly on ground balls. Um, he's batting under 200 on ground balls so far this year. I mean, that's extreme. I'm not sure he'll get back up to a normal batting average on grounders, which would be around 240. Um, so I think I, I do think Odor will improve. I've got him on my list, but I'm not sure he's going to improve as much as last year's stats would 
indicate. So you think he's basically a low BABIP guy. Last year he had a 297 BABIP, which contributed to a 271 batting average. You think you, you think those numbers were kind of high for his batted ball profile? I think, yeah, I think for his profile, I do think they are. Um, I think if uh, he's 250 rest of the way, that that's about what I would expect. So who's another player you see improving in the second half? Um, I like Eric Thames. Okay, and yeah. The, and the improvement is more against what he's done since April. Yeah, sure. Because uh, I think, you know, the, the production was so front-loaded for him that, um, you know, his stats don't, you know, necessarily scream out as, you know, uh, they belong to a player who's, who's got to improve. But since April 26th, he's hit 206. Um, and while I do think that Thames might be a low bit player, he's been, since that time, at 248. Uh, 248 BABIP uh, over a uh, 59 game stretch. I, you know, I think he's going to improve there. And meanwhile, he's been among the leaders during that period in terms of barrel rate. So, you know, he's, he's hits a lot of fly balls, but I think, you know, given that they're well struck, you're certainly going to see him at least maintain the power that he's shown. And there might be enough power there to even, you know, uh, bump up the batting average uh, a bit and certainly above 206 where he's been over 59 games yeah i have absolutely no objections to that one I, I love the quality of the contact he makes he still walks at a high rate i i think thames is a good good player to buy right now of course we've been saying that for about six weeks but <laughs> <laughs> manny machado it's almost too easy i think to say he's going to uh improve in the second half but it, it's kind of a similar situation uh as rugnet odor to me where just he still looks like the same old Manny Machado and just isn't getting the same results. Yeah, no, no I agree. I mean, it's it's a head scratcher why he struggled so much, but it, you know, I, I can only draw the conclusion that he's going to get uh, you know back to normal or close to it from from here on forward. His BABIP has been very consistent over the years, kind of unusually consistent, right in that two ninety five to three twenty five range. 239 this year for Manny Machado. So uh, great by low, as we've been saying all along, and shortstop eligible. Who else is on your list? Uh, I'm going to go to uh, another pitcher here, Danny Duffy, because I, I find him interesting, and I've, I've just recently kind of flipped my position on him because um, you know I thought, well, okay, the strikeouts aren't really there this year, and this is a guy who allows a lot of hard contact, a lot of airborne contact, and the, the ballpark uh, can only help him so much. Scott, I don't think Duffy's given up a home run at home this year. Uh, I know I cited that stat recently. I think it's still valid. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I think that the home run rate on the road should improve going forward. And I'm, as much as hard contact as he allows, I, I'm not sure why he's given up as many home runs away from Kaufman as he has. But the real reason I think Duffy's going to rebound is because I, you know, I just kind of took the mediocre strikeout rate as oh, this is regression to what Danny Duffy was before last year. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you look at the components of what makes up the strikeouts, getting swings and misses, freezing batters, and getting foul balls, all those numbers, all those rates are really similar to last year. So it, it looks like a, just an absolute fluke that Danny Duffy isn't striking up batters again this year. Okay, Al and I are not alone anymore. We are joined by Chris Towers here, jumping in mid-podcast. I don't know if you heard Al's analysis of uh, Danny Duffy, Chris. I did. I've been trying to figure out 
Danny Duffy all year for the exact same reasons that Al. Uh, Al, can you hear me? I can hear you great, Chris. Okay. I've been trying to figure out Danny Duffy for the same reasons that you've had kind of that, that issue with the strikeout rate where the swinging strike rate or the called strike rate, these things all have held similar. And I just, it's something that I've struggled with with Aaron Nola, where like he doesn't have a great strikeout, swinging strike rate, but he gets so many strikeouts. And I just wonder what, how predictive are these things? These things that we look at and say, well, he's got a high swinging strike rate, so the strikeouts will come. Will they? So, I, you know, I, I think they're predictive. I haven't done a study or seen a study on that, but a lot of anecdotal evidence tells me that there's a there's a probably a really strong correlation between certainly between swinging strikes and uh, and strikeouts. Um, but you do you know, you mentioned Nola, Chris, and yeah. there are those exceptions. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like they are pretty fair indicators because if somebody's uh, whiff rate isn't jiving with their strikeout rate. Usually can, you can look to, you know, the, the call strike rate, you know, in the case of NOLA or, uh, you know, recently Rick Porcello would be a good example of that. Yeah. Um, and, and, and say, okay, that's where the strikeouts are coming from. Or even earlier in this, this year, Wade Miley, remember when he was getting all those strikeouts and, you know, there were several analysts saying this is complete smoke and mirrors. Well, it wasn't really. He was painting the corners really effectively and getting a lot of foul balls. Now that, that stopped. <laughs> and the strikeout stopped, but there was an explanation for it. So, yeah, I do think that they're predictive. Chris, do you have any players that you're looking to be better in the second half? Some some potential buy-low candidates, if you will. Uh, I'll steal one. We had Ben Lindbergh on on Tuesday. His obvious one was Kyle Schwarber. I think that one's – I know he's got the, the issues with lefties for sure. He's got the contact issues. But his contact rate this season is actually better than it was during the 2015 season when he was awesome. Uh, he's swinging at fewer pitches outside of the strike zone. And there was a stretch in about mid-May where the hard hit rate had come back, and I was just like, Kyle Schwarber is going to be the, the mini Bambino we thought he was. And then it just never came. The Babbitt stayed low. I think Kyle Schwarber is going to have a huge second half. I think he went down to AAA, figured it out. I think he's going to be a monster. And – uh is Manny Machado too obvious? Yeah, well, I, we already mentioned him. <laughs> yeah. we, we mentioned Machado. Because I keep Odor. getting, I still get like, what's wrong with Manny Machado? Yeah. Is it crazy to drop Manny Machado? Yes, it's crazy to drop Manny Machado. Don't do it. <laughs> basically, I'm sure you guys hit this already, but basically every indicator tells you if he's not Manny Machado, he might even be a little bit better version of Manny Machado, or at least a Manny Machado who has adapted to this new crazy offensive environment. It's coming. Yeah, it's, it's coming with Manny Machado. And getting back to Schwarber, it's it's crazy to me to think that Kyle Schwarber, uh, you know, for as much as we obsess over him, we're obsessing over a career two ten hitter now. And obviously, there well, are a lot of there are a lot of factors going into that. It's, before the season, you know, I I made my uh, in one of our preview podcasts. Are we sure Kyle Schwarber is better than Jock Peterson? And that's one where like I might have been both right and wrong, like. No, we're not sure if Kyle Schwarber is better than Jock Peterson. He might not be. But neither's been very good this season, so it might not have mattered anyway. All right, Al, do you have another player who you're looking to be better in the second half? Uh, you know, you mentioned Matt Carpenter before. I, th- I think he's a, a candidate to improve his batting average and um, at least maintain the power that he's had. So, um, 
yeah, I'm a pr- pretty strong believer that Matt Carpenter is going to have a much better second half than, than his first half. Because really the power gains are there still for Carpenter. It's Walk just, rate is still great. Yeah, it just seems like he's had some uh, – in need of some batting average correction like you were saying. And part of that's the fly balls. He's hitting a lot more fly balls, which can lead to a lower batting average or lower batting average on balls in play. But I, he's such a talented hitter. It's That's one of those situations, and it's kind of the same thing with Manny Machado, where it's just like bet on the elite guy. Now, I had – I had Kyle Seeger on my list here. I, you know, I, I could get into how consistent he's been and how, uh, you know, I actually went through and looked at uh, fantasy points per game, uh, figured out what that was for every player in the first half, which is, you know, kind of an eye-opening process. It's, it's such a simple thing, fantasy points per game, but it really puts into perspective how players have performed relative to each other in a way that total fantasy points doesn't because that's not what goes into you know total fantasy points isn't always a sign of how good a player's actually been uh because of time missed and everything kyle schwarber has not had a very good year it's what it boils down to he's averaged 2.5 ish fantasy points per game this year worse than joey gallo uh right there with Nicholas Castellanos. He has not had a very good year, but as consistent as he is and what he's doing peripherally, he looks like the same Kyle Seeger also. So he's a player I'm looking to buy low on. How do you feel? And you mentioned Castellanos, I would argue, and I've been Uh, saying it all season long, waiting for his improvement, but I think it's still to come. Right there with you, Al. I love that hard hit rate. He's still still third, I think, in hard hit rate. Yeah, he's right up there and has been all season. And if you look at uh, what's really interesting is Comerica Park's not a great place to hit. It's a pretty lousy place to hit. But if you look at the expected WOBA number on Baseball Savant, I think the the jury's still out on how predictive that number is. But it's really interesting that I think three of the top 20 in the biggest difference between their expected WOBA and their actual WOBA are Nicholas Castellanos, Miguel Cabrera, and Victor Martinez, who actually peripherally doesn't look bad this season. All right, I know where Chris stands on Todd Frazier. We'll, we'll stick with third baseman for a minute he's, here. He's a jag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny. Uh, you know, if I, if I can mention fantasy points per game again, where Todd Frazier shows up in there, surprisingly high on the list. Um, but I'll get to that in a minute. I, I'm curious about Al's thoughts on Todd Frazier because I think Todd Frazier is – do for some serious correction here in a way that could make him a borderline top 10 third baseman of fantasy. And Chris thinks he's just old now and not going to be as useful as we want him. I to think be. he's just a one trick pony in a league where every single player can do that trick. now. Well, we've seen him be much better than a two ten hitter in the past. Where do, where do you stand out? Yeah, I'm pretty much with Chris on, on this one. I mean, I, I wouldn't say he's older, washed up, but I, I I absolutely agree with the part that the 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 skill that's given him the most fantasy value in the past that uh, a lot more people have caught up with him on that, and I do suspect that maybe his best power hitting days are are I want to say behind him. I don't want to be dramatic about it. I mean, I don't think it's like a big decline, but I I I, I don't really have great hope that you know he's going to have something close to a career career year in terms of power. And I don't have a lot of faith um, in a big batting average rebound either. 
Well, I mean, the batting, the BABIP is so exaggeratedly low. It's 218. Right? He was 236 last year, yeah. 271 the year before. So right. there's room for growth. but Big time. But, like. I, I understand he's a low BABIP guy, but there's a difference between a low BABIP and a 218 BABIP or whatever he, you said it was. But if he hits 240. Yeah. With 34 home runs and 85 RBI and 90 runs and like, that's good. That's mm-hmm. useful, but it's it doesn't yeah, stand like, out at the third base position anymore. So yeah, it's like to elevate him over like Ryan Healy, you know? Yeah, like it's very Ryan Healy. Oh, he'll be better than Ryan Healy. He's already been much better than Ryan Healy in terms of fantasy points per game. Because what we're not mentioning here is walks are way up, strikeouts are way yeah. down. He was. 2.90 fantasy points per game in the first half, which was better than Evan Longoria, better than Josh Donaldson, better than Josh Harrison, uh, Eugenio Suarez, who got off to a great start. In fairness, I have him ranked over all of those guys except for Josh Donaldson, I think. so. But that's with Frazier being a 213 hitter. So if there's any improvement at all, uh, you could see how he could gain some serious ground in that category. All right, are there any I'm, – I'm going to list off, since we've been so hitter-focused here, I'm going to list off some p- pitchers who I think will be better in the second half. And if there's one you guys want to focus on, feel free to jump in. I have Trevor Cahill, Jeff Samarja, Rick Porcello, Rich Hill, who really seems to have turned things around, Jose Quintana, Masahiro Tanaka, and Justin Verlander. They're all on my list of, of players who I think will be better in the second half. Anyone you want to talk about there? Uh, I did have Porcello on my list, and I, I you know, referred already to the fact that he's uh, started to turn things around last four starts, which is not a particularly long stretch, but I am encouraged that that called strike rate is, is back up. He's throwing a ton, ton of strikes. So while it's, it's, a, it's a relatively small sample, he's showing us, he's giving us some numbers that look much more like 2016. Yeah, and I don't... So I, yeah. I, I don't think he's going to be 2016 Rick Porcello again. I think that ship is, is sailed. But, I mean, in terms of, you know, giving up one of the highest BABIPs of any pitcher in baseball this year, um, and the last couple starts we've seen him show some improvement. It, it's it, it's about relocating, getting his pitches consistently down in the strike zone again, which he seems to have figured out lately. And... Um, you know, if he can just be kind of a above-average BABIP guy instead of a ridiculously high BABIP guy, then I think it's particularly with that team backing him, he can still be a, a pretty reliable starter in fantasy. This is the the one thing I do struggle with is he he's came up as the sinker sinker baller, and that that was the kind of idea that we had of Rick Porcello, and then this big jump in strikeout rate that we saw over the last couple of years came as a result of mixing in a lot more four-seam fastballs, especially up in the zone, to get that whiff rate up. And he's just, I think he's struggling with that, just walking that fine line of not having great stuff. And this is a a line that I think Aaron Nola struggles with a lot too, is just like, doesn't have great stuff. And so, or doesn't have the great fastball maybe. Doesn't have the great swing and miss stuff. And so that fine line between getting called strikes on the corner or, you know, getting rocked, and having to pitch more closer to the heart of the plate, it's just it makes for some inherent inconsistency and, and inherent unpredictability. So kind of the Marco Estrada. Sure, I yeah. mean, Marco Estrada is the extreme version, and I guess. And he's taken that to an even more ridiculous yeah. extreme this year with the strikeout rate. Um, but, yeah, that that's kind of the way I look at him. Not a predictable pitcher, not someone that I can look at and say, I know what he's going to do against this matchup. All right, let's switch gears here and – 
talk about some of the players who we think are going to be worse in the second half. Sell highs, potentially. Who's on that list for you, Al? Uh, I've got uh, Eric Hosmer on there, um, and I probably wouldn't have a month ago, but uh, he's been in for a lot of power lately. And my rationale for this is just basically I feel like I've seen this movie before, where you know Hosmer, I think it was early last season where he started off with a big power binge, but he always seems to settle in as uh, you know a, a 20 homer guy who hits a lot of ground balls and at this stage in his career I think that's what we're going to see and, and I think that this uh, you know power binge is is going to see its end very soon yeah, yeah no I, I I don't think I have Eric Cosmer inside of my top 30 at first base which is maybe a little bit too low but then I look at the guys ahead of him and I maybe maybe he's more trustworthy than I don't know, Ryan Healy or someone else uh, in that range. But I just – I look at it and I think, like, Eric Hosmer's so unexciting at a position where I need an exciting player. Yeah. And so, like, he's one of these guys we, – we've talked about it a lot where he finishes the season as a top 15 first baseman pretty much every year. But he's never actually a top 15 first baseman at any point during the season. He's just kind of – just through attrition at the rest of the position, he ends up in the top 15. And I, I just – I find him so unexciting. Yeah, unexciting, I think, is how I'd characterize Hosmer as well. And He's fine. It's, yeah, and, and it's, it's hard at this. I mean, we were talking, Al and I, earlier about that 40 to 90 range at starting pitcher and how yeah. flexible, you know, how, 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 how quickly can pitchers can move up and down that list. First base is kind of that same way in the 10 through 20 range. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, so it's hard among the Justin Bohr's uh, the Logan Morrison's, uh, the Justin Smokes, the, these new coming first basemen who we don't the maybe entire, not totally believe in. Yeah, the entire top prospects from 2009 basically have all been great this season at first base, and and they're all kind of the same guy, right? Like Smoke, Alonzo, Mo- Logan Morrison. It's been very strange. All right, who else you got for us, Al? Well, I feel like this is pretty obvious, so maybe we can just blow through this one. But it's worth mentioning Zach Cozart. Uh, that we've already started to see the regression from him, and I think it's just going to keep coming. Uh, there was nothing peripherally from him that suggested. The only thing that that suggested that maybe uh, he was a very different hitter was just the improved plate discipline. But I didn't understand how exactly that was translating in, in the crazy power numbers and and the extremely high BABIP. Yeah. No, I think it's it's fair to assume Zach Cozart's going to regress. And I have another shortstop eligible player who I, I feel the same way about, Gene Segura. Uh, the, the power hasn't been what it was last year. The stolen base rate hasn't been what it's been last year. And so he's not the player he was last year. And yet he's gotten he's gotten he's been treated the same way most of this year because the batting average has been so high. 349, he leads the AL at the break, uh, but the bad, the BABIP is 399. So I, I believe Gene Segura. I, I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think anyone's really disputing that Gene Segura is going to regress in the second half, but like with Cozart, because he's a shortstop, how much do you care? Yeah. You're still going to start it. I, I feel a lot, a lot of the same way about Elvis Andrus. Like I don't think Elvis Andrus is all of a sudden a 2040 guy. But I don't know. I I, I, think I give he, him a better I chance. I think he's good. Than, I think yeah. he's good. I think he'll be worse, 
but not to the point where I'm like, sell Elvis Andrews right now, sell Gene Segura right now. I still think those guys, because the position stinks mm-hmm. outside of, what, the top eight, mm-hmm. I, I think it's like I'd rather have him than Addison Russell. I'd rather have both of those guys than Zach Cozart, guys that have been starting caliber shortstops in the past, but I just I, I don't know what you do with them. Like, yep. I, I don't think there's anything actionable about that. I want to weigh in on the um, the Elvis Andrews thing because I think the difference there, like this environment we're in right now, drastic changes in in in, in batter profiles, uh, home runs up everywhere. Like I have a hard time shortchanging any player's home run gains unless there's a corresponding drop. Like if a player's gaining home runs and losing fly balls, that doesn't seem like a sustainable formula, and we have seen some of that. Uh, Mark Reynolds comes to mind. Um, yeah. uh, Travis Shaw sure. losing yeah. fly balls and gaining home runs. So, so both of those guys give me some skepticism. But I, I don't think I can rule out Elvis Andrews is suddenly a pretty good power guy. How, where do you stand on that, Al? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm bought into the to the uh, you know home or the, the fly ball revolution uh, and and the power increase for Elvis Andrews. Um, and you know, go just going back to Shaw for a second. He is a weird case. Yes, but um, I think he's just got legitimately more power this year. He, he's so he doesn't necessarily need uh, to to you know create it the way he did with the Red Sox with with uh, you know with fly balls. I've wanted to troll Heath about it <laughs> because Heath was the Travis Shaw guy. Had him as a top fifteen third baseman. The only time he, Travis Shaw got drafted in any of our leagues was when Heath was in it. Um, and he's right. Like, Travis Shaw has been awesome. He's been a top four third baseman, I think, this season. He's He was our pick for fantasy all-star at third base for Heath and I. But, he like, the reason Heath was right about Travis Shaw has not been the reason Travis Shaw has been good. But, like you said, he's been and, – and Miller Park's such a good place for lefties to hit for power anyway that, like, mm-hmm. he might be able to hit 30 home runs with a 30% fly ball rate. Who else you got, Al? Worse than the second half. Worse than the second half. Um, all right. I like this one. Robbie Ray. Oh, yeah. Chris loves that one. I, you and Chris are on the same, wa- same wavelength here. I miss yeah. you, Al. And, you know, talking about it being actionable, I'm not, I, Chris, you know, maybe, maybe you come down more strongly on this than I do because the only action I can really see with Robbie Ray is to try to sell him high. Um, Scott and our, well, and Chris, you're in the league too, in our uh, dynasty league. Mm-hmm. Um, I traded him, and it probably doesn't really look like a sell high because what I got in return was Carlos Rodon and Dansby Swanson, but I really needed, uh, I wanted a young shortstop with, with some upside. Um, and, and, you know, looking at the rosters, that seemed to be my best opportunity to get that. Plus, I'm, I, I really like Rodon as a, as a breakout guy. Yeah. Um, that was coming off his big swinging strike game too. Not not as good the final start before the break, but right, yeah, but that was in Colorado. <laughs> but yeah, yeah no, the two starts, and actually, I made that trade during that start. Oh, um, and not because of it, right? But just coincidentally, uh, with the twenty five uh, swinging strikes. But um, you know, getting back to Robbie Ray, so I mean, in terms of an action, yeah, I do. You know, I, I still think he'll he's must start whenever whatever regression happens. But I just think that, um, you know, with the wildness and the, the propensity to allow, allow hard contact, when he does allow contact, uh, he should be paying a higher price for that than he is. He's become a more extreme version of Robbie Ray this season. Like, the strikeout <laughs> rate, up. The walk rate, up. The fly ball rate, 
up. And that was that was the weird thing is he's throwing this curveball that apparently I think he learned it from Zach Greinke, and it's become a new part of his repertoire. And usually pitchers will throw the curveball as more of a ground ball pitch. It's not a swing and miss pitch. It's a pitch that you try to get weak contact, and yet it's a hard contact rate is 42%, which is insane for a pitcher. Like You don't see numbers like that for pitchers. His ground ball rate is down below 40%. So it's just there's all these changes going on. It's just I still think he's Michael Pineda, basically. Like he's Michael wow. Pineda West. Oh, but I don't know. I mean, you can allow hard con- <laughs> when you allow no well, contact. No, actually, I will say, I will <laughs> say, I will say this for him: the thing that might separate him from from Michael Pineda is Michael Pineda is. I don't want to psychoanalyze, but he pitches as if he's afraid to walk people, and I think you can get to a point where you're too hittable as a result of that. And say what you want about Robbie Ray, the man's got flaws. He is not afraid to walk people. So I, I mean, Robbie Ray to me. Just we, like we were saying, how hard it is to find a reliable pitcher, Al. Like, yeah. I, I can call Gene Segura and Zach Kozart regression candidates or, or whatever candidates to get worse in the second half. I have a hard time saying about that, that about a pitcher who I more or less believe in because you were even saying it's that Robbie Ray's go- going to be a must-start whatever he regresses to. Yeah, I just think he's going to be a must-start as a 4 ERA guy, probably. So uh, a couple names here. Uh, I have Steven Matz on my list, who I know Chris and I both are down on. Meet you three. <laughs> Just not get. Uh, he's gotten good results, but he hasn't gotten the swings and misses, even apart from strikeouts. Just the swinging strikes have not been there since he returned from the DL, not throwing the slider as much. Well, he's, he's basically not throwing the slider. Yeah. And he's said that that's a, that's a conscious decision because he thinks that's why he got hurt. Starlin Castro, do you see anything different there for him, Al, or do you, do you agree he's a regression candidate in the second half? Coming back from the DL, by the way. Yeah, and I and I thought about putting him on my list, and I didn't because essentially I will treat him the same way, which is I think he'll continue to be really good in home stands. Uh, great power numbers at Yankee Stadium, uh, you know, since becoming a Yankee. Um, so I think that the overall numbers are misleading because when he's on the road most of the time. I don't want to start him. Um, so, you know, I think if you can find somebody who buys the overall numbers as something you can get every week, yeah, I think that's a, that's a good deal to make. But, um, no, I don't think he'll necessarily be different or worse in the second half than he was in the first half. Well, power, I, I see a difference between the kind of power he was hitting for this year and what he was last year. So just maybe to, to provide a little more perspective on this, um, I'll use Adam Azer's old trick. Would you take Jonathan Scope or Starlin Castro rest of season? Uh, yeah, Scope's got his own uh, splits issues, but I'll, I'll take Scope. Ian Happ or Starlin Castro? I'll take Ian Happ for sure. Um, Jed Jerko or Starlin Castro? Mm, now you got me. Um, <laughs> I think I'll take Jerko. Pedroia or Castro? Strong Castro. Okay. Yeah, I think we're in about the same place there. Either of you have one other hitter who's going to get worse in the second half that can, you're dying to get in there? Can I throw one more pitcher out there? Uh, yeah, sorry, hitter let's, or pitcher. Let's, player. let's piss off the entire city of Phoenix and just throw out Tywin Walker, who <laughs> appears to be having the breakout with the, with the career-best uh, ERA, I believe, career-best whip. It's not for real, guys. (laughs) I I wanted it to be. I believed it in in spring training. He was throwing this new slider that was supposed to be. And it's just, he's a one-pitch pitcher. He's not getting swings and misses. He's getting fewer swings and misses than before. 
his secondary stuff just stinks. Like, yeah. He just has bad pitches besides I, his fastball. I couldn't even – like, I haven't seen him as having been good to this point, so I had a hard time <laughs> I'm trying to even sell. considering him among the uh, the players to get worse. Yeah. All right, let's answer some questions here with Al. Some, some Our Twitter users have sent us some questions, specifically with Al in mind. So let's see what he has to say to this. Al, who's <laughs> the better pickup? This is from uh, That's Just Geo 86. Who's a better pickup rest of season? Julio Tehran, Rick Porcello, Trevor Cahill. Uh, oh, I'd say Cahill. Um, and like I, I've you know said a few things about Porcello already. I think he's trending in the right direction. I'm not... Totally sure that's going to last. Uh, Chris has talked about the inconsistency. I do worry about that. And Cahill, uh, he, he just seems to have hit a new gear this year. So um, he's the one I trust the most. I love Trevor Cahill. I, I love Zach Godley, but if Trevor Cahill got hadn't gotten hurt, I think I might love him more for the same reason. Elite ground ball rate. And suddenly the swing and miss rate is shot way up. Used his breaking ball a lot more. Him and Godley both, but Cahill, you know, Double time, it's shot up. So if he can continue that, and he got a lot of swinging strikes in his last start, he is my favorite pitcher of these three. But I'm having a hard time. Like, better pickup? Julio Tehran and Rick Porcello have been dropped in your league? Right. I, I, that, that hasn't happened in any of my leagues. That's, that's the key thing with me is that, like, I might think Trevor Cahill's a better pitcher. I'm not sure. I'm undecided. Yeah. But he's less likely to get picked up than those guys. So the, right. the opportunity cost in picking up Trevor Cahill may be higher. Although I guess if you think he's better, it doesn't matter. Okay, this is. Well, yeah, it, it, it's, it sounds like it's probably a shallower league then. Yeah. In which case, yeah. I think you know Cahill, while you know probably, well, I'd say definitely has the least established track record. You know, go go for the upside. Yeah, that that, that doesn't matter. Track record doesn't matter as much in a shallow league if you're going to have that caliber of player. And let's be honest, Rick Porcello's track record is one good season more than Trevor Cahill's, basically. <laughs> okay, this is from at. J.A. Carlin. Not sure how he wants me to say that, but that's who it is. Okay, once Chris Davis is activated, would you prefer Chris Davis, Matt Adams, or Yonder Alonso? This is the Orioles' Chris Davis, of course. It's pretty close, but um, I'll go with Alonso there. Uh, again, you know, like I was saying about Cahill, I feel like uh, this year he's you know been very consistent uh, and and you know so the gains that he's made in terms of power and and the switch to being more fly ball oriented hitter, uh, I think that those are are clearly legit and um, I'll yeah. take that over Davis's inconsistency and um, and I already forgot I'm sorry who the third Matt Adams was, who, and Adams too yeah, I yeah mean, I, you know. They're all going to, I think, provide you with some power. But uh, I, I feel the most secure in Alonzo doing so. Yeah, I kind of feel, I mean, part of me is like, well, Chris Davis is clearly the most established and he's must own. And But yeah, Yonder Alonzo is such a clear beneficiary of the fly ball revolution. And I just think offers so much more peripherally. It's going to be more reliable. I'm kind of leaning that way too. This one is from at Dan Hoppen. What's going on with Ioannis Cespedes? Should owners try to sell high based on name value? He's been pretty blah since coming back from the DL. I agree he's been pretty blah since coming back from the DL, and I feel like the way the outfield landscape has changed this year, uh, almost as dramatic as, as first base, maybe even a little more so, I, I don't think Yonder Alonso is the clear standout. Ioannis we, Cespedes. Ioannis Cespedes is the clear <laughs> standout we uh, ha, have, have come to know him to be the last couple of years. Uh, I, 
I agree that the the landscape has improved, but um, you know, I just we we've seen him have these ebbs in his career before, and I think that you know we've seen great production from him far too recently and over the longer stretch far too often to to discount him. So I, I feel like it's a bad time to trade. I think you just gotta gotta stash him until he he uh, you know pulls out of it and probably gets healthier. Would be my assumption. This is from at Lloyd. Kai Walker, uh, who who has the better career when the dust settles in three years, Byron Buxton or Dansby Swanson? A long-term question for you. Swanson or hmm. Buxton, who do you like more over the next three years? In real baseball, it's Buxton, right? I don't know about that. I, I mean, just the I defense and base running. I think possibly in fantasy, too. Uh, and I just <laughs> talked about trading for, for Swanson in our Dynasty League. But, no, I actually uh, – I feel like Buxton could be really close. I mean, he's just got to, uh, you know, improve those contact skills, and I don't know how much he's going to do that, but he's still young enough to do it. We saw uh, him go on a power tear late last season. Granted, that was with expanded rosters, but, uh, I, you know, I think he could definitely, at minimum, be a really you know, pretty scary good power speed source. I'm I'm surprised to hear you both say that. You guys have a lot more patience than I do. I'm I'm giving. I I think every player deserves a pass for their rookie season. So, you know, Dansby Swanson, just because he hasn't failed us to the extent Buxton has, over and over again, uh, I'm going to go with him. This is from Adam White, thirteen oh seven. Does Al Melchior still love Rick Porcello? A reference. <laughs> well, since I've talked about him more than I think anybody else on this yeah. show today, maybe I still do. I uh. think you do. I think you do. All right. So I want to move on from these questions. We're going to close out the podcast with this. These are some debates we've been having, Adam, Heath, Chris, and I, over the course of this season. Nothing to do with baseball. Ridiculous debates we've been having with no clear resolution. We're going to, we've been asking our guests this all week. We're going to ask you, Al Melchior, to resolve these debates for us. And I'm going to begin with the toughest one. This is a four-part question. What is your cereal, breakfast cereal, Mount Rushmore, Al Melchior? And just to point out, both Jonah Carey and Ben Lindbergh independently gave us Raisin Bran. As their favorite cereal, even though... One of their favorites. As their favorite cereal. They're number one. Even though neither of them particularly likes raisins. It's yeah. very strange. I feel well, like Raisin yeah, Bran needs I mean, to sponsor our show. Is, is this based on you know personal preference or, or you know sort of... You know, uh, we did personal cereal, preference. Cereal stature. Per- personal preference. Yeah, I, I understand. Because Mount yeah. Rushmore, the most representative cereals, is probably what that should represent. Your, but just what are your four favorite your personal, cereals? Your personal, your shopping... You got space for four boxes. Uh, definitely, um, uh, Golden Grams. Okay. Is the the the, the must-have uh, uh, face there on uh, on the cereal Mount Rushmore. I think it's difficult. Uh, boy, oh boy. You know what? I will put Raisin Bran on mine because wow, I actually nice. do like it a lot. Yeah. So, a lot of brand Golden Grams, Raisin Bran. Uh, go with the Frosted Flakes and uh, Honey Nut Cheerios. There you go. Great grains, fruits. Uh, Great grains, fruits, dates, and walnuts replaced raisin bran for me. Just a fruits, much better. Just a much. I, fruits, I, I don't know. Like great grains, dates. raisins, dates, and walnuts. Great grains, <laughs> raisins, dates, and walnuts. Every bite is so con- good proportion of grains and fruits. You don't get that bite with too many raisins or too much bran. Anyway, is money well, ball. I, I, I got to make a substitution here. Okay. Because how could I forget about life? Life. Uh, so life instead of the Frosted Flakes. Cinnamon wow. life's pretty good, too. 
I go back and forth which I like more, but those are good serials. All right, is Moneyball a top five sports movie? Uh, I, I'd be hard-pressed to, to give you five right now, but I don't love the movie. I love the book. Okay. Really? Movie's wow. okay. I, thought you, I thought you liked the movie. It was very. I, like it. I thought I it was very uh, close to the book. Actually, it was. It was. Uh, it followed it. Uh, left out some scenes. Right. Left out the draft room scene at the beginning, but I don't know. I thought it. I thought it. It. Uh, it followed the book closely. Well, you, you you take out the scene with the daughter playing the song that hadn't been written yet. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, that was kind of weird. It, it, I don't, know why that, I don't know why that's a, such a hang-up for people. <laughs> I mean, who cares? All right. Is Aerosmith a good band? No. Yes. No. All right. Ham or turkey <laughs> on your sandwich? sandwich? Yeah. Yeah. Ham or turkey? Ham or turkey? Uh, turkey. Yes. Ooh. Unanimous. Oh, I don't know, Al. I don't know. Raisins. <laughs> this kind of is getting back to what Chris alluded to earlier. Raisins, yay or nay? Yay. Ooh. Ooh interesting. Just by I themselves? Just raisin bran on my Mount Rushmore. Is it you like popping them in your mouth like nature's candy, or do you just <laughs> you like them mixed in with other things? Uh, yeah, I'm good either way. I prefer it mixed in with other things, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll eat them straight. Because I don't like eating them straight, but raisin bran. I mean, when you get that like bite with it perfectly proportioned, the bitter bran and this just burst of sweetness in it, it, it works out great. Raisin raisin has its place. All right. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie, oldie but a goodie? I think we've gotten uh, your input you, on this. You before. know my answer to this, guy. <laughs> I haven't seen it. <laughs> oh yes, of course. Why are we Why are we asking you about how you feel about Moneyball? You're no movie authority. You never see anything. That's right. I could I couldn't name five sports movies uh, or baseball movies. Are the the tradi- not really true, but. the traditional Easter candy peeps? Are they good or aren't they? No, they're gross. Ugh. Appropriate answer. I think I'm the only one who likes peeps. Did you here. hear what Scott did? With a peep? Uh, no, no. <laughs> did you see what I did? Because it went out on Twitter. Uh, I, I vaguely remember something, but I mean, you're going to have to refresh my memory. He dissolved a peep in his cup of tea to sweeten it. Yeah. He drowned a peep. Yeah. And I did it. You know, I was particularly <laughs> grotesque about it. I, I was treating it like Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Dip. I don't know if you've seen that movie, Adam. No, of course uh, not. Al. <laughs> Of course not. Yeah, no. Basically, the peep just dissolved slowly into my tea, and it worked well as a sweetener. I think peeps are great. Sugar-covered marshmallow. Why do people hate them so much? I don't know. <laughs> it's the factory reject marshmallows, though. <laughs> All right. This has been fun, Al. Thank you for your input on movies and food and baseball. It was good hearing from you. Glad to hear things are going well for you out in Montana and all your, your baseball ventures out there. Well, great, great to uh, be podcasting with you guys again and uh, had, a, had a great time. So thanks, thanks so much for having me. All right, and thanks, everybody, for listening during this week where we don't have regular baseball action. Uh, hope you enjoyed all the guests. We will talk to you again soon.